Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Basically, I read this article and I thought, well, where the hell are the, the studies around us that like want you to drink beer? Like, I've never seen that on a flyer before. Like, oh, want to earn 50 bucks and drink beer? Come to our study. It's like, no, more like uh, we want to put these weird things in your body. Welcome to the Blind Tiger Podcast, your one-stop shop for your news, reviews, and all things brews. I'm your host, the man who wonders what kind of partner gives their spouse a cotton gift after two short years, Rob Fisher. With me, as always, is the man who is ecstatic for anniversary four gifts because you can pair them with beer, Mike Albright. And of course, the man whose audio skills can simulate the touch, the feel of cotton, <laughs> that fabric of our lives, via <laughs> <by> headphone. <laughs> The man, far, far too handsome for paper gifts, Jesse Clark. I gotta sing it next time. (laughs) (laughs) The touch, the feel. Today is May 14th, 2015, and we're recording episode 54, One Night Only, which happens to be our season two year-end review. For more information on any of the segments from today's show, visit our new and improved website at www.blindtigerpodcast.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or subscribe to the show on iTunes. Our podcast is available on Stitcher, and we have moved our entire catalog of episodes over to SoundCloud as well. We provide near-daily news, reviews, and just about anything involving brews. Don't miss out, and subscribe today. Given that this episode marks our anniversary, our second anniversary, our cotton anniversary, in fact, we wanted to start the episode off with a question that fits our theme. It is in honor of our second anniversary that this week's question is, if you could celebrate an anniversary with beer, what and with which beer? What anniversary and with which beer? So, Mike, take it away. All right. So I'm going to go all Inception on this question. (laughs) And I'm going to say that the anniversary I would celebrate with a beer would be the first time I ever had a beer. Oh. Borrowing from the wedding traditions, it is said that you should celebrate with something new, something old, something borrowed, and something blue. So the something old would be the first beer that you had, a.k.a. either gross sweet shit or something awful light. Heineken. Heineken, yep. (laughs) That that fits both. (laughs) Heineken's kind of sweet, but... And then you could do something blue, which might be like Pabst Blue Ribbon, which mm. might also, again, be the first beer you ever had. So that might get two for one there. <laughs> and then you could do something new. I would celebrate with something new. Uh, and basically, it's basically a beer that I never had before. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, something like exotic or rare, uh, something hard to find, but just something that, like, I've, I've never had before. Uh, and just something spanking new to commemorate how far I've come and how very the wonderful world of craft beer really is. Then comes the something borrowed, and by now I'm at least two beers into it, so I'm beginning to feel a little unhinged, so I would borrow a friend's beer and let the shenanigans commence. In fact, I might just go klepto and see how many friend's beers I could borrow in a single night. If I get caught, I'll just pull a Sean Connery from The Rock and say, I'm merely borrowing your beer. Nice. I don't remember that line. It's when he steals the guy's Humvee. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And he yes. calls him on the car phone, which is kind of quaint, but still kind of funny, and Sean Connery goes, what? I didn't steal your Humvee. I'm merely borrowing it. Oh... Uh, it's, I gotta watch that movie again. It's a classic. Michael Bay, Nicolas Cage, oh, Ed no, Harris. Come I, on, I don't like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I like him ironically. Yeah. No, I don't even like him like that. <laughs> uh, it's The Rock, man. The Rock, I I like ironically. Nicolas Cage, I just really okay, just wait. Like, yeah. Do you like the movie or the wrestler? Because technically, there is two. There's Dwayne. Oh no, I'm yeah, talking about the, the, the wrestler. The wrestler is an oh, actor. I oh, like no. ironically. Oh. oh, okay. Dwayne Johnson is hilarious. The There's no need yeah. to not love him. No, ironically, he should do a remake of The Rock. 
Oh yeah, he absolutely himself. should. Yeah. The, the TV show, The Rock. The TV the show, movie, the Michael Bay film. What oh, was the TV Jay show? The, yeah, the Terry, the, the TV show, The Rock. He was the garbage man guy. I have no idea what you're nope. talking about. All right, so there was a TV show back in the '90s. It had like it focused on an African American family. He was a, a, cla- a trash collector. Hmm. Uh, Never heard of it. It was huge. Apparently not. It was uh, huge, really. Uh, yeah, I think he was. No, no, it wasn't the same actor. Never mind. Well, Jesse, why don't you tell us about what your anniversary would be? Okay, well. I decided here, I'll, I'll, let's start with the beer first. I decided to go with the Jersey Brewery, believe it or not. Mm. Um, well, because we all know how I feel about that. And so, uh, yes, I went with Flying Fish Brewery, and uh, I went with their exit series, any of the exit series. <laughs> um, you see, when I'm driving down that crowded, claustrophobic turnpike where using your turn signal is forbidden because it, well, gives away your next move, um, where the drivers swerve abruptly as if they're slalom skiers, um, and the smell of rotten trash seems to be as constant as a North Star, it's then when I think of the anniversary. It's, uh, it's, an, it's an August, uh, October 13th. I, I start, when I'm driving down, I just think of the Chilean miners and how on 13th of october back in 2010 33 of them were trapped underground for more than two months mm-hmm. um yeah they were um they were held up there as if chris christie was holding a political vendetta against the president of chile um well now he denies having any foreknowledge about politically motivated stunt he, he at time joked that he was working the cones at the mine so yes the news reports uh, suggested that uh, at the time with this chilean it was a, it was a, it was a very serious thing and the news reports suggested that there was a ventilation shafts that survived the mine's collapse allowing enough fresh air to reach the chamber where the miners were trapped which is more than you would get on the turnpike in jersey and why you should always leave your window up but anyway on october 9th of 2010 um and starting then until t- uh, the, the the 13th of october um Two excruciating months after being underground, there was they finally broke through, and um, they they had a there was a rescue shaft, and as they were leaving, uh, they, they they one by one they were leaving this mine, and they, uh, there was a Jersey employee there collecting a toll because that's what happens when you're <laughs> exiting any place from Jersey and trying to get to anywhere else that's next to it. So yes, it's the Jersey, it's it's the exit series from Flying Fish. Oh uh, yeah. So it's a, a, a state that's sinking, and they are. Uh, Taxing each and every fleeing rat from that sink. Yes, yes. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Well, I took things a little in a different direction, perhaps not totally understanding the nature of the question. Um, I went with what of the traditional gifts anniversary would I like to celebrate as opposed to what anniversary itself. So the list of traditional anniversary gifts is actually quite a weird one. Um, Apparently, the old world gifts were updated to modern gifts at some point. I don't know who is in charge of these things, but they transitioned over. Um, So paper and cotton, uh, the first two, were replaced with clocks in China. Wait, number one's clocks yeah number one is clocks first anniversary <laughs> we should have given each other clocks that's a weird gift uh but i guess it's better than paper brand new smartwatch i'll take that it's got a clock on it yeah there you go uh so while the modern stuff seems to be a bit more expensive the traditional gifts are clearly better so if i was going to pair a beer with an anniversary i'd pick the traditional sixth gift candy <laughs> why well because i got a sweet tooth like you wouldn't believe i smell beer and candy yeah uh-huh Anyone? Marcy's Playground? Marcy's Playground. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so I would pair these delicious confections with any of the many homebrew beers from Black Tie Brewing, which you've probably never even heard of. Nope. Um, not yet even a brewery. Ty Armstrong <laughs> Sr. from California is an avid homebrewer with professional ambitions on creating 
quote-unquote candy beers that appeal to those who find the taste of hops just downright offensive. The beer that sounds most intriguing to me is the Lifesaver Burst, described as uh, an ale that is smooth, semi-sweet, unique candy beer with the champagne flavor and aroma of 13 varieties of our special artificial hard candy flavors. As you (laughs) pop the top in the bottle, watch as the candy sugars rise to the top of the bottle and amazingly dissolve. At about 5% ABV, this delicious beer tastes great by itself or with almost any food pairings. Oh man, that just sounds like a bad idea. It does. Didn't they make a Schmierdoff Lifesaver? They probably could have. But some of the other ones did sound good. He was doing a lot of like fruit beer stuff. So like Passion Fruit Mango and um, he had one that was uh, Mojito Beer. Was really interesting, and then okay. some like uh, candied stouts, darker beers as well. So it sounded like it was a cool lineup of things. Uh, obviously, I'll probably never have Black Tie Brewing Company's uh, beers anytime soon, since uh, he's still looking for funding for that Nana Brewery he wants to open up. Uh, but uh, he seemed like a cool dude. Um, for example, he was trying to throw together a professional uh, site to raise some money, and uh, his grammar and spelling made mine look awesome by comparison. <laughs> so, yeah, I copied and pasted that beer description into uh, my word processor, and it lit up the Christmas tree. <laughs> so enjoyable. But hey, that doesn't mean that you can't try a lifesaver burst and have a good time. So with that, let's move on to a little beer news. Beer news. We're going to jump into some local news right away and straight into drinking something. Yay! Um, So, we probably all... I don't think we've actually had on the show yet, but there is a delicious Belgian triple from Victory Brewing Company called Golden Monkey. I happen to have a delicious bottle right here. Um, And it's one of their stronger beers, and it is uh, quite delicious. So I thought we'd take a simple of that. But that's not actually the news. Gold Monkey, it's been around for a while, but I wanted to have something to compare it with because Victory recently released Sour Monkey. Whoa. Yes. So, Jesse, if you want to pour this around a little bit so we can take a taste. So, yes. um, They basically took the stock beer, Gold Monkey, which is a uh, Great American Beer Festival Gold Medal Award winner, And uh, so they basically took this and uh, aged it several times. So they they took their uh, Belgian-style triple um, and they incorporated multiple fermentations via three different yeasts. So this ain't just sour. This is like all sorts of crazy interesting. Um, And Jesse's like, there we go. Sweet. Um, so it's got an ABV of 9.5% and it delivers a punch of, what's oh, this? Uh, it's got really nice, um, juicy flavors, uh, whole flower hops, pilsner's malts, coriander seeds, um, before bringing in their special, fun, and funky, unique yeast varieties. So, uh, they're basically taking Golden Monkey, a very nice, strong triple, yeah. and then punching it up with a bit of sour. Yeah, I've always liked Golden Monkey. It's a very good triple, I think. It, it's strong for a triple, too, I, I, feel um which is nice because it's definitely got a lot of that belgian flavor which is mm-hmm. hit or miss with some people but with that nice robusticity in it, it it helps it helps balance it out for strong as it is i don't feel like the the mouthfeel is is particularly heavy like there's not a no a, it's not weak by any stretch of the imagination but it's not thick it's not syrupy in any any stretch definitely you get those belgian flavors i mean that is mm-hmm. yeah it's whatever the equivalent of a hot bomb would be in the belgian yeah, right, category exactly. you definitely get those flavors Whew. The toilet bomb, mm. <laughs> and uh, I think Victory's made a ice cream out of this, if I recall. Oh yeah, they did, and uh, which was quite tasty. It had a very banana flavor to the actual ice cream as well, which 
obviously pairs with the uh, the monkey theme. However, the real question is, is how does the Sour Monkey work with? So we are drinking. Um, so apparently it's uh, available throughout all 36 oh, right. of Victory's uh, so state distributions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's suggested retail, retail price is approximately $9. <laughs> varies upon location. So given that information, I may have to have a, cons- a conversation with the purveyor of the... Uh, Shop that I bought this from. Um, it's 750 milliliter bottles that are corked and caged, as you'll hear. How much did you pay for it? Fourteen dollars. Wow. <laughs> so that's a bit of a markup. I. Uh, You're not going to tell where you got it from. No, not on air. <laughs> <laughs> are we a reviewing podcast? I mean, isn't this like We're not reviewing the place where I bought it from? I may have just been a non-intelligent consumer. I don't know. I think it's sometimes our jobs to call out people. Yeah. Don't want to bite the hand that feeds you either. That, that is true. So I saved a little bit left for a side-by-side comparison. Right. They look just about the same color, um, same features. Mm. Oh, you can smell the sour compared to the golden mm, monkey. Definitely. It smells a little champagne Yeah, yeah. I taste it too. Quite wineish. Yeah, so the Golden Monkey is just a really nice triple. It is sour. Mm. Yeah. Like pure acetic uh, acid sour. Mm. Scorbic acetic? I can't remember which one's which. Whoa. Scorbic, I think. That is sour. Where's a champagne flavor right before it hits? Oh, man. It's like Sour Patch Kid Sour. Mm-hmm. I know someone might like this beer. I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I imagine Emily might like it as well, considering we have a uh, shared love of Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. Um, there is something underneath it, though. The beer that springs to mind in terms of perhaps level of sourness would be uh, Goose Island's Lolita. Okay. Um, yeah. But that was, I think, more puckeringly yeah. sour. And there was nothing else to that beer. No, it no. was just, boom, yeah, here's sour. sour. This has a complexity beneath it, which mm-hmm. I actually really um, am digging. I may... Slowly sip this over the course of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's ooh. What's the ABV on this? Nine point five percent. Oh, isn't that what Golden Monkey is? Uh, probably, it's very similar. Yeah, Golden Monkey is definitely up there. I should know. Nine point five. Okay. It tastes a little drier though. A little like. Yeah. I like it though. I mean, I think um, I think champagne-y Soury champagne is kind of like a really good app description. I no. don't really get much of Belgian-y notes in it anymore. I think the yeast kind of just decimate that. And what's this called? Um, Sour Monkey. Hmm. It's got a really cool, funky uh, label. Very trippy. Uh, it's very 70s. Yeah, very black lady. Very um, San Francisco 60s, actually. Something like um, Fog Hat would have on one of their album covers or something. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, yeah. Mike. Smoke Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> on the water. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I actually really like this. Um, as sours go, I don't know what I was expecting. I was kind of expecting a Belgium with a sour kick to it. Um, definitely did not get that. I, I get like a nice sour beer that has a bit of a body to it that I actually kind of enjoy in the, on the end. It's a good sharing beer. Yeah. I don't know if like two pints of this would be something I could handle. No. But... Um, we have probably two thirds of a glass each, if not a little bit more. And I think that's going to be, you know, good enough. Yeah, really. Everybody likes to do these big bomber bottles of like these like very strong flavored beers. Do you think they'll ever like go the opposite direction? Like give us like little ponies, like little eight ounce bottles. 
Like you ever see those like corn, cornitas or whatever? I, I would like that. Those yeah, and they're be, cool. Because something be like that ideal. would be kind of nice. I mean, so we do that with wine. Like port wine is like very intensely yeah, flavored, yeah. you know, and you only get a little bit of it. You know, it's a port wine glass is small. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly serve on draft things in like eight percent or you know ten yeah, percent um, quantities. So, and especially because I mean something like this. Like if I open that whole bottle for myself and drink it, I'm gonna be like, wow, it's nice. But there's no way I'm gonna be able to finish this myself. And then, you know, I can't really stick it back in the fridge. Well, to be honest, I think my favorite experience with drinking uh, of like any experiences of drinking is going to a bottle shop that has a bunch of bombers. And then rather than doing like a round system with friends of pints, just getting a bunch of big beers and a couple of tasting glasses and just plowing through like six, eight, ten beers between a bunch of people. Of you just get a little taster, you get an idea mm-hmm. what the beer is, and then you move on to the next thing. It's really mm-hmm. nice. You get to hear everybody's thoughts of what's going on, who likes what, and you might probably end up trying things outside of your comfort zone because somebody else yeah. is going to be like, "Oh, I really love like Russian imperial stouts," and you're like, "But you tried anyway," and it might be something that you love. Yeah. It's like show and tell. It is sort of like show and tell. That's a good idea. So I've I've enjoyed that quite a bit, but uh, yeah. I don't know. If Some people don't sell. like what you show sometimes. Yeah, like. sometimes. <laughs> Our version of the traveling pants. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what kind of sick that. games you and Emily play. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what we do in the bedroom, or out in the garden at night. Mm. <laughs> hey, that was to commemorate a holiday. Okay, <laughs> don't don't knock on my religious beliefs. Mm. <laughs> That's not Festivus. <laughs> Garden of <laughs> Interesting. Well, um, I guess what would you guys rate said beer? Hmm. That beer? Yeah. I'm going to give it three and a half, 375. All right, Jesse, what do you three think? Three five, yeah. Um, I might bump it up to a four, but probably, yeah, if I was going to untap it, probably 375 is where I'd put it. They can do quarters now. Yeah, yeah, I love it. No, I think it is because I couldn't drink more than this glass of it. I mean, the flavor is really solid and good, and I would definitely, I'm going to enjoy the amount that I have, the portion I have. I would put it over the Sour Devil. Is that what the last yeah. one that they did? Yeah, Sour it was Devil okay, was okay. But it wasn't, um, you know, great. This, um, you know, I got a birthday coming up, and if I got a bottle of this, I'd be like, woo! As opposed to Sour Devil would be like, I'll drink it, but um, I'd rather just have Hop Devil. <laughs> you know, no no harm, no foul. Yeah. So that, let's move on to a little uh, national news. Oh. And you get to hear me talk yet again. So AB InBev is suing a New Jersey distributor over Elysian sales. So this is an interesting thing when um, major brands buy up other smaller brands. So there is uh, in White House Station, New Jersey... Um, there is a uh, distributor um, called Hunterdon Brewing Co. Um, and they basically had the rights to sell Elysian in New Jersey. And what happens is a Anheuser-Busch came in and bought Elysian and then decided that they wanted to have uh, Elysian's uh, brewing distribu- distribution contracts to exist with partners that they had on a much larger scale. Um, so obviously they had distribution partnerships for Bud, Bud Light, and all of their uh, other properties, and they figured they wanted to use those the same guys to do this. Well, it turns out that, uh, you know, Elysian's a good craft brewery, and uh, the guy from Jersey didn't want to give up the rights to 
the selling Elysian beers, doing them good business. So, hey, so uh, AB InBev basically said that, or uh, alleges in their brief, that they attempted to f- pay the guy for fair market value of the distribution rights in Huntington. Um, so they sent him, uh, allegedly, a check for $562,883, um, which they argue represents 5.5 times Hunterton's 12-month growth profit earned in Elysian sales. Uh, they say that this was even more generous for when they did something uh, similar when they uh, bought New York's Blue Point Brewing Company, in which they paid 4.75 times gross profits. Um, but Hunterton Brewing despite, uh, disputes that uh, the payment made is actually a fair market value, saying that uh, you know they expect to make more money off Elysian brands since it's a growing brand and they'll make more money, and they refuse to essentially turn it over. So now it has to go to court to decide who has... Who will the five hundred, almost six hundred thousand dollars, be a fair investment, fair market price for distribution rights? Well, just because it's a fair market at the time doesn't mean you're forced to take it, though. Yeah, really? I mean, they made a contract. He made a bet saying that this is going to be worth in the in the future. I mean, doesn't right. he get the like? <laughs> yeah. On what basis is AB allowed to sue? Because I, I mean, that'd be like me going up to someone and being like, "Hey, I really like your car. I'll give you like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's worth like three grand. I'll give you a fifteen for it." And they'd be like, "No." And I'd be like, "Well, I'm going to sue you now because you didn't sell it to me." It's like, yeah. How, or, know. or better yet, because it is something that's going to get better in value. It's right. like I understand you have this piece of property that's going to increase in value, but I'm only going to give you what it's worth right now or mm-hmm. in the next five years. Right. It's like okay, this will be that worth this this value in five years from now, but the person might be sitting on it for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Like this, I think that's total bullshit. I guess technically that AB InBev can negotiate, but that's it's a hard thing to determine what fair market value would be for any one property because what what are they basing that on? Are they looking at like his last year's sales number and then saying we multiplied that by yeah. 5.5 times in order to do that? Obviously, I mean, that $562,883 is a very specific number, so I'm not quite sure what they were figuring that number would be. But at the same time, if the dude's got a contract with Elysian, you know, just because they're a subsidiary of AB InBev now, you know, I don't think that nullifies the contract. So you're right. I think if he wants to say, I had like a 10-year contract or whatever, I want to hold on to that till the end of 10 years, he can totally do that. So so what does his contract entail? Uh, they don't have to? details for that, So what does he do? He just sells their beer? Yeah, he's just a distributor. So, yeah. oh. you know, they ship him the beer to his distribution place and then he ships it out to all New Jersey and he's like the only guy I guess in New Jersey that distributes Elysian beer so he's oh so he's busy he's busy with this then uh, well yeah oh I guess I mean if you look at the math and say 5.5 times he's making a hundred thousand dollars in sales of that a year which is pretty darn good for business so it's pretty good for Elysian you know um, I don't think he would like to give that up uh, but it also, the other reason I wanted to talk about this is it shows how quickly AB InBev is starting to eat up smaller breweries that um, obviously they've had things like Goose Island in the past and the big ones have come up, but I was not aware that uh, Blue Point Brewing Company was down AB InBev product. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, if you care about buying true craft beer, uh, it becomes harder and harder to be, you know, make sure that you know what is and is not been purchased by somebody else under the same name. Yeah, because didn't someone recently sue um, Blue Moon, too, for calling themselves craft <laughs> yeah, beer? Yeah, I considered that putting it in the article. But yeah, there yeah. was a guy who argued that it's unfair to call Blue Moon craft beer because they don't, 
they don't go by the American uh, Craft Beer Association's uh, definition of craft beer. The problem is it's not a legal term, so you can okay. anybody can call. I mean, you can call the paint in the walls craft beer, and there's something legally that. That's <laughs> where we have it in wine. It's like we're gonna say this is a this is you know this is a Chianti, and you can't call it a Chianti unless it's exactly fitting by law yeah. what this is. You know, it's like oh, this is Bordeaux. It has to be this, and no, no one else can call it Bordeaux, Bordeaux, unless it's that. Which is like champagne, right? It has come from the champagne region. Exactly. It's like there, it's there are rules. Sparkling wine. There are rules. There's a line. You do not cross that line. And and some of that is respected internationally, and some of it's not. So you know, because I don't think that in America there's legal recourse if you call something a champagne. I think it's just no. in that that world you're not supposed to. It would, you would definitely be looked down upon. Yeah, exactly. And I, maybe that's what we need in in craft beers to have some sort of. Snobbery, where it'd be like Goose Island's fine. <laughs> you need more snobbery, but it's not exactly <laughs> yeah. craft beer. Well, I mean, it comes down to what I mean. I think the hardest part is what the definition of craft beer really is. That just because Goose Island was bought by EB InBev, does that make them lose their craft beer cred? And I, part of me kind of goes, well, if they're brewing it the same way with the same quality ingredients and making a fine product, eh. But at the same time, like. You know, if you don't want to shop at Walmart and Walmart opens up, you know, uh, a smaller store, like buys up the local mom and pop store and then sells cheap goods there, you're still funding money into the that's true the owners. So, you know, you might not want to do that and, and you might care about that. So I feel like that should be pretty clear that, you know, Goose Island should have a boom to own by AB InBev on top of it or something. Just so people know. Won't stop me from drinking their Bourbon County Stout, but... Uh, mm. It does give me pause. I do notice that when I go in and I look at the Goose yeah. Island beers, I'm like less inclined to buy them than I was two I years ago. I don't really see them like I used to either. Mm, yeah, could be. They have a nice lineup at the fridge um, do they? that changes. I mean, well, even like there, I don't really remember seeing them. There's like five or six that they have every yeah, time they have I'm a in few there. there at least. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I think the last thing I bought that was new that I wanted to try was the Lolita, and mm. um, it was all right. It's all right. All right, all right, and all speaking right. of beers that are just all right, Mike, yeah. take us into the next national news item. All right, so there's <laughs> going to be always be haters out there, and one of them comes courtesy of Deadspin. So Deadspin has like a, uh, I think a weekly entry or whatever. It's called Drunk Spin, where basically some guy gets on and talks about beer. And this latest recent article uh, by him was basically sort of a meandering, rambling article. He was talking about various beers that are out that he likes, uh, a lot of them being in the specific like wheat ale, kind of wheat hoppy beer category. And halfway through, he just decides to shit all over uh, Oberon. So, Jesse, we, we started out the night with Oberon. What did, what did you think of that beer? It's a nice, it's citrusy, it's a nice, simple beer. It's it's good, it's it's refreshing. Like, this is a tubing beer, it's good. Definitely a very, very good tubing beer, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just hearing Jesse being like, it's nice. It's <laughs> nice. No, it's a good beer. It's Making those early 2000 references. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, he goes on to say, and he and he entitled the article this: "Bell's, Bell's Oberon is America's most overrated beer." Or basically, he he listed the bunch that he likes, and then just went on to say he doesn't really understand why so many people go nuts over Oberon, and uh, can't really understand why it gets as high a rating as it does on the various uh, websites like your uh, Rate Beer or your uh, Untapped, and uh, just kind of calls Midwesterner Midwesterners out. Interesting. Um, I mean, Beer Advocate has it as an eighty-six. The Bros haven't rated it yet. An 86 isn't like, you know, phenomenal in yeah, terms of rating. Yeah, it's a good solid beer. Because yeah. rate beer gives it an 89 overall. Yeah, okay. um, I'm well. fine with that. Yeah, I don't think that's a poor rating. I think it is a delicious beer. I do find it interesting. I was just having this conversation today about um, the musical Les Mis. Mm-hmm. That I've seen it. 
wasn't really impressed by it. And it's not that I'm surprised that people like it. I'm surprised how many people like really like it. Mm. The same way that like Old Bay is oh. pretty tasty. Yeah. But there are people who were like willing yeah. to tattoo that on their body. Really make a beer so, out of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> They so thoroughly love Old Bay. And when the beer came out, sight unseen, they bought cases of the shit because they just love Old Bay. I don't understand that fanaticism. And I have met people who are like, Oberon is the greatest beer that has ever been crafted by man or God. And I'm like, it's good. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm not saying don't like it. But best beer ever made by man or God is a really, really specific yeah. statement, and I'm not quite sure I could follow you down that rabbit hole. I've, I've seen on like various message boards before, like there is a fervor behind Oberon. I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. I think really? it's just an okay beer. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they even go as far as uh, apparently like in Michigan, uh, around like Kalamazoo, Michigan, where it's made. They have an Oberon Day, where it's like kind of like Dark Lord Day, if you've ever heard of that, or basically anytime like a uh, really sought after um, yeah, quarter, quarterly release or whatever it is. Uh, people will actually, you know, wait for that day and then they'll like line up out the door for it and it's like a big to do. And they do that for Oberon, which I mean, it's pretty much ubiquitous around here. It's not one of the states where it's, apparently it's year round, but it, it feels like it's pretty close. You can almost always find Oberon. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it wasn't year round. Yeah, apparently not. I mean, there might be like a month or two that's not around Winter, here. Yeah, I mean, because I haven't seen it for probably since it started really getting cold. Yeah. Um, and then it was back uh, probably like a month ago, I think it probably. started coming in. I think it was a lot of like the warmer states where it is year-round, like your Florida's, your Arizona's, which makes yeah. sense. And um, I mean, so in, in certain regards, I can kind of agree with the writer because it is, I mean, it's not overrated, but I, do, I don't really understand how, why people go nuts for it. Um, because it's, it's good, but it's just, it doesn't really like give me that sense of drive to seek it. 86 is a good B. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good solid B. It's like, you know what? You did what you're supposed to do. I'm even comfortable with the B plus, you know? Yeah. I'll give them a B plus. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's sort of, I look at it, um, my summer beer that I always rave about, Purple Haze, is now mm-hmm. out, um, and I'm very excited about that. And I was hugely excited when they were canning it um, years ago, which they seem to have stopped doing, at least in our area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a solid B plus beer. You know, I would rate that 89% short, no problem. And I'm excited when it comes out every year, but I am not willing to go stand in line um, outside uh, a beta waiting for yeah. to taste that beer. Maybe it's like a social enjoyment aspect of it, but I'm not like so fervently waiting for a beta for a purple haze that I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And you can't, you can almost get that year round here, but it's not always year round. So. I, yeah, it's weird. I think maybe if Oberon truly was 100% year-round, maybe people wouldn't be quite as excited about it. But I, yeah, I, I agree with the guy that per, if you really love this beer, good for you. If you're obsessive about it, awesome, but I don't 100% understand it. Yeah, and he does bring up that point, too. Um, basically, he, he calls out Oberon, but he says, oh, too hardy. That's that's actually a really good beer. And I yeah. think maybe part of the problem is that like when it is year-round and ubiquitous and everywhere people just kind of like oh it's okay you know they just sort of lose that interest in it yeah, even th- though it is a great beer i feel that i feel that more about the two hearted like i think the two hearted is a, gr- a good beer but i don't think it's nearly as like world class as many people say so, it is. so i could yeah. see you probably have yeah a better like to stand on if you wanted to call that one out for being overrated yeah it won beer advocates best beer in the world based on readership and i think that, i think that's, that's big, bullshit big i mean i, I yeah. think it, i think i prefer that to the over the oberon for sure yeah. uh-huh. but it's i don't think it's that level not quite there yeah i think that well and then of course there's a reader's poll so you're looking at something that is um 
you know, pretty much everywhere the beer advocate readership would be so that you can have access to it to try it. So you can have beers like Hetty Topper, but the problem is they don't go out. It doesn't go outside of Vermont very often. Like mm-hmm. very few places get it. So you're not going to have like most of the United States isn't going to be able to try it to say that it's the best beer they've ever had. So you need to have something that's almost omnipresent and is still quite delicious um, and is probably uh, good enough for a lot of people to like so that you can have people who um, are real hopheads and go, oh yeah, Too Hard is awesome. People who aren't really into hops at all, who are into like you know darker beers or you know whatever, can be like, oh, Too Hard is actually a pretty good beer overall, and then you end up like winning out on that. Um, but I don't, yeah, I agree with you guys that like there are plenty of beers that I would list both over both of those beers. I would think that of the Bell's beers that I've had. Too Hearted would definitely be way up there. Uh-huh. I'm also a big fan of the Kalamazoo Stout. Kalamazoo Stout's very good. Yeah, I think it's extremely good. That never gets any love or praise, really. And of course, uh, uh, I believe you're aging some little, little hop slam. Oh well, oh absolutely, yeah. yes. <laughs> I always forget that they make that too. Yeah, really. I just know it by name. It's like, oh yeah, Bell's is. But it is sort of weird that like I do hear people talk about the release of Oberon almost as much as they talk about the release of Hop Slam. Yeah. And I think Hop Slam isn't for everyone, obviously, because it is a hop bomb, but it is a delicious hop bomb. And I see why people would get really excited about Hop Slam, even if I haven't enjoyed it as much the last two years um, than I did like three years ago or whatever it was. One thing that might be fun for us to do, well, not really fun, but like I know um, uh, talking to Dave a lot is that like when Pizza Boy does a release of one of their sour beers, apparently there is like a fervor behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things like people start lining up at the door like at 6 a.m., so almost like for like a weird experience would be just interesting to go and like see that happen. Like just the, the people there that are just like, and maybe just talk to them, interview them. I don't know. Ask them a couple of questions. Like, why are you doing this? Like, do you just really like sour beers? Is it more yeah. just, oh, it's rare. I have to have it. Yeah. I, I, when we first started this project, I was way more into like, I want to t- taste all of the top 100 beers in the world. Like chase those white whales. Yeah. The only one that I really, really feel like I want to track, like really make an effort to, and that would be over complete and total laziness, um, is West Federland 12, just because yeah. we've been so close a number of very times close. Yeah. that it's kind of like, now it has to happen. Um, but, I, you know, I look at things, I'm like, yeah, if I get a chance to try Pliny, the Elder and Younger, great, but I'm not going to one, spend one $60, days, yeah. <laughs> you know, like if I'm in, if I can hit Russian River Brewing Company and it's there, absolutely, obviously. Um if I can hit you know, get zombie dust at some point without too much hassle, great. But I'm not yeah. gonna like. But when do we go to Indiana? <laughs> yeah, what am I gonna get? Pay a hundred? I'm not gonna pay a hundred dollars if it's shipped here just, just to say yeah. I've had it or whatever. Um, it just doesn't seem worth it to me. So I, I would rather just enjoy good beer that I get my hands on regularly as opposed to go white whale hunting. And I feel like there are people who are extremely obsessive about having every rare thing that they can possibly get their hands on just to say that they've had it. Which is weird because we're running a beer podcast where we've drank a lot of fucking yeah. beers. And for me to be like, I need to have fucking everything because that's an impossible task. My God. <laughs> yeah, I'm just still working my way through the fridge. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that changes like every freaking time you're in there. And yeah. then we have friends who do go out and they grab a bunch of things. And I look at them and go, they're going on like expeditions to D.C. or Virginia or, yeah. you know, New Hampshire or whatever. They're always out and about grabbing beer and they bring back stuff and share. Bless them yes. mightily. But I'm like, it's a lot of fucking energy, time, and money it really is. to kind of keep up with all this stuff because all these amazing breweries are opening up. All the old breweries always have new beers, and it's just really impossible to try to like, you know, it's like, it's like Pokemon. If they put out <laughs> 10,000 new Pokemon every year, you're never going to collect them all. Got to drink them all. Yep. Got to drink yeah. them all. <laughs> 
Nice. So Mike, take us into a little international news. So I guess this, I guess this qualifies as international news because we haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, basically, there was a study done by uh, UK researchers where they took a couple of people, um, I think about 60 men, 60 women, and they viewed how they drank beer. Hmm. So basically, some of them, they just gave them beer in a straight uh, glass with straight edges, like like a basic pint glass. Straight edge, like a razor blade? Well, kind of like this, like a pint glass. Like oh. There's really no curves to it. It's just... Uh, you know, other than the actual curve of the glass, yeah, yeah. Oh, but there's no oh, like no bulges circle, yeah. or yeah. And then they had some drink out of like things like tulip glasses. And basically, what they found is that on average, uh, basically the shape of the glass determined how fast you drank the beer. That's what they were trying to de- uh, determine. Uh, so I believe it was the people drank uh, beer out of curved glasses slightly faster than they did straight sided gla- uh, glasses beers. Blech. So basically, like if I had it out of a tulip glass or a snifter, I'd be drinking this about on average a minute faster than I would out of just a your just basic pint glass. Less in it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I they took in like volume and in, in for account. I I do the opposite. When we had when we were at uh, we were at Hunger and Thirst yesterday. I drank mine really slowly. Okay. Like when I have that curved glass, and I I think it's because I know there's not as much in it. Yeah, I see. I always drink everything really fast, so I've never actually like sat down and looked at like what. I think I just drink everything fast. I don't think there's really it matters whether or not it's curved or not. But yeah, generally on average, I think like things that are like t- to me like this stu- like a lot of people call the study effort just being basic bullshit. And it, I mean there, it, there's a lot of flaws to it. And one of the flaws I have is that things that go into like curved glasses tend to be like stronger beers. Hmm. So on average, you probably don't want to drink those quite as mm-hmm. fast. Uh, than you would out of beer out of like straight side uh, sided pint. So what we need to do is we need to get. A pint glass that's straight, and then a pint glass that's round. To do that comparison, because the one when I'm getting the rounded glass and it's and it's, it has less of it in, I feel like I need to savor it more. I mean, there's something in my mind telling me that I should hold on to it and really, you know, experience every sip to its fullest. Yeah. Cherish it. Exactly. Swish it around. And another thing they did, and I, I do believe, like some of like um, your perceptions of it does affect how you drink things. They put like. T- Markings on the glasses, basically like you're drinking out of a measuring cup, essentially. Oh, okay. And when they said like people would drink slower when it was out of something with marking gradations on the side. <laughs> so right. I think maybe if you actually do see like, oh, geez, like I went from full to half, then I can see that like right there in like you know no time at all. Maybe I should slow it down a little bit. The first what? line says drink, drank, and then the bottom drink, is drunk. drunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Drink, I have seen drank, that before. Drunk. Like that. Yeah. Well, people are really bad with volume. Especially in curved containers, yeah, and it's really hard. Like you, you can see pint glasses that are of different shapes and sizes, and you know you have the shorter, fatter ones and tall, skinnier glasses, and um, like the very, very tall, skinny glasses that usually they pour like uh, serve wheat beers in and whatnot. And you look at it and go, well, it's the same pour, but one glass is just way taller than the other one. And I feel like putting that gradation there because like where half actually is in terms of volume is dramatically different than taking the height of the glass and just marking it in half. And I think that when people drink, especially since obviously there's more volume in the top half mm-hmm. of the glass and the bottom, that people go, you know, may look at it and be like, yeah, but if there's a marking that clue says you are halfway through this, they yeah. may be like, whoa, that's a surprise because we you don't intuitively really grasp volumes particularly well. Yeah, and maybe especially when you're intoxicated. Yeah. <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> Basically, I read this article and I thought, well, where the hell are the the studies around us that like want you to drink beer? Like I've never seen that on a flyer before. Like, oh, want to earn fifty bucks and drink beer? Come to our study. It's like no, more like uh, we want to put these weird things in your body. It's like I don't know. 
New drugs, yeah, exactly, and not recreational drugs. More than yeah, more, more like devices, not really like liquids or anything. Yeah, just kind of. That sounds yeah. very uncomfortable. Yeah, I knew someone that did one of those studies. They put a device in his body, or no, her? more like uh, I forget what they had her do, but it was just something like it was really shady, and she had like stay overnight, and just I was really uncomfortable with it. But she made like two hundred bucks, so I guess it's <laughs> all good. <laughs> Boring yourself out, I guess. I don't jokes. know. Like, bravo, yeah. bravo. Yeah. I uh, I did enjoy the uh, the article. It wasn't um, like a Navy of Evla to take away her ability to say no. No, <laughs> God, yeah. No, Stay overnight. She wasn't bringing Bud Light. They gave some money in. Yes, uh, you won't be able to say no. Stay overnight. Two hundred dollars. Bud Light now with Ripnol. So I do like that uh, apparently Dr. Anna Lemke, uh, director of Stanford University's addiction medicine program, oh, yeah. said in an email, um, there's no doubt that context matter when it comes to alcohol and drug use, but a study showing that social drinkers with marked glasses drank the same amount of alcohol 1.2 minutes slower than drinkers with unmarked glasses is hardly meaningful. And I don't kind of feel that way. I'm sure this is somewhat, um, you know, I think uh, most of the articles tonight have been a very uh, clickbaity, but... Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, to be honest, there is so much uh, discussion over what's the best way to drink a beer. I wish there was more hard science saying that, like, you know, drinking a beer of this style out of this glass really does offer something to it because you have uh, establishments that really try to pair beers with the appropriate style glassware. And it's like, does this really effing matter? If I put KBS in a little tulip glass or I put KBS in a standard pint glass, what does it matter? And that's pretty much how I looked into it. You're right, it is kind of clickbaity, and that's why I clicked on it. But yeah, again, like most of the stuff talks, when people talk about the size or shape of glasses, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. oh, it brings out this hop aroma or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, these people were actually trying to think, well, you know. What does it have an effect yeah. on, yeah. Better than having your just bullshit alarm go off constantly, so. <laughs> but with that, let's move into what Jesse was talking about earlier um, with the segment Beers from Around the World. Beer from around the world. Beers from a galaxy far, far away brought home for your tasting pleasure. Lost Abbey Edition. So last night, Mike, Jesse, and I all traveled to local purveyor of great beer, great food, and marginally adequate dubstep. Marginally. Hungerly, hunger and thirst. <laughs> it was weird. They were playing a little dubstep in the middle of the night. It was, it was odd. Um, well, this is a great place to grab a beer and a meal. It is just far enough away to make walking over there slightly annoying. But last night, we made the trek because they were celebrating uh, the Lost Abbey Brewing, Brewery with a tap takeover. While samples and flights were not to be found, we shared amongst ourselves the various beers they had on tap. As Lost Abbey is a remarkable brewery and there are some remarkable beers, we thought we'd share our thoughts on what we had and our impressions. So let's talk beer. Well, how was the walk over there? Oh, it's very nice. I mean, you walk through F&M, essentially. Okay. So the only shitty part's at the very end when you have to cross President Avenue. Yeah, that's the worst. Did you walk through the park? Um, Around it. Buchanan? Around it. Because we actually ended up walking kind of through the campus. And since there's really nobody there right now, it's pretty nice. Yeah, I biked there that way and back. It was nice. Yeah. Good weather last night, too. Um, so, Jesse, I believe you started off with the Serpentine Stout. I did. It was delicious. That's one of my favorites. By that is a very good beer. Um, there was chocolatey notes. Um, it was caramelly. It was delicious. Mm. Um, I really liked it. It was kind of a, it had a creamy feel to it. Um, it was great. I really loved it. Oops. Um, I enjoyed it as well. There is a very nice... Um, 
it was strong. There was an alcohol kick to it. Um, there was a bit of a spiciness, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something that really like, uh, unlike a lot of strong stouts or even Russian Imperial stouts, there was something that sort of like, uh, you know, loosened the sinuses and really kind of gave you yeah. a kick in the teeth that I really sort of enjoyed out of it. Um, I'm glad they were pouring it in a slightly smaller container, so you didn't have to drink a ton of that because it was 10 or 11%. It was pretty strong. Yeah, this was was pretty strong. I, we did this last year, too, um, and that's really the one that like stuck out in my mind. I remember really liking that one. Mm-hmm. I tried some of the others and kind of forgot what they were about until I had them again last night, but yeah, the Serpentine Tout, great. Yeah, I really really enjoyed that one. And it yeah. was a good, way, good place to start. And then you started out with the Red Barn, right? Yep, Red Barn Ale. I'm sorry, I keep saying that right, wrong. It's so we had the Serpent's Stout, not the Serpentine Stout. Oh, um, so it's rated 94 on Beer Advocate from the BA, and the Bros give it a 95, and it is a Imperial Stout um, without the Russian at 11% ABV. Um, so it's a very, very good one. Apparently, it's uh, to mark the struggles of good versus evil. Uh, it is named for the devil who tempted Eve to eat the apple. Mm-hmm. Although I actually learned today, Reddit had a very nice post of things that are facts that are not actually facts, that the Bible never actually specifies it's an apple. It's a fruit of some sort, but they never oh, right. actually specify never what it apple? is. Yeah, yeah, so apparently... That was the theme of but, that evening. Remember, I was saying, yeah, like, when I was taught Sunday Jesus school... Jesus go was, to hell? Like, yeah, so that, that was the Sunday school lesson I remember specifically... Uh, that after the crucifixion, Jesus was actually in hell, or at least at some point went down there, and something about keys of death or something. He was so that that allowed what enabled cult him. Sunday school? Did you go to enabled him to be resurrected? No, actually, the funny thing is, I referred to it as a cult, and then someone else said, "Oh, you went to the cult one too," and we, oh. we were talking about the exact same church on Columbia Avenue. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, we, yeah, the one that we 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 talked in. Uh, we 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 had to speak in tongues. Oh, okay. That yeah, sounds crazy. It yeah. is, yeah. Um, well, we went out of geographical convenience for my grandparents since they lived right across the street. So uh, <laughs> it was more like, I think it was more like my mom had to visit her mom once a week. And so she was like two birds with one stone. Oh, here, we'll send the kids to church to make her happy as well. <laughs> Sunday school and we would go there and I was young and impressionable. I didn't know, it was like, why are these people speaking in tongues? Like, what does this mean? What's going on? This is how you experience God. It was really odd. I feel terrible for you, Jesse. It seems like a hard. Does it explain experience. a lot? I think it does. Yeah. I think it does. Yeah, yeah. It explains why when you recognize crazy in others, you run screaming for the hills because you sat through it before, <laughs> or you emotionally detach and then observe the crazy without actually investing too much into, into the crazy. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> it's true. As it's like should. a nostalgia. As you should. <laughs> it's like, oh, I remember that. It makes me. It's almost comforting. <laughs> So yeah, this, the the beer that I had that I shared was called the Red Barn Ale, and it is uh, from it's a saison slash farmhouse ale at six point seven percent ABV, and uh, so basically it's lightly spiced with organic ginger or orange peels, black pepper, and grains of paradise. Hmm. And uh, I recall uh, very distinctly that it was it was a one of the few saisons that I had that I immediately placed as like, oh, that's a fucking saison, because hmm. um, saisons can kind of be all over the map. But there was sort of a barnyard funkiness to it. There was a funkiness it, to it. Yeah, that, that. Uh, was not bad, um, but it was definitely something that was an interesting twist on the beverage. Um, I didn't really get much of a ginger or orange peel, but I feel like maybe the black pepper was what kind of added that uh, that bit of barnyard funkiness. Yeah, like when they do that. It, it was a quintessential. Bit, it yeah. was a quintessential saison. Yeah, it really yeah. did. I liked it. It was very, very good, um, uh, but it, it was quite tasty. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, 
But then we moved on to uh, probably my favorite of the Lost Abbey beers, which is their their red poppy. Mm. Oh my god, that beer is amazing. Yeah, that's what Emily started out with, and I, I forgot how good that one was. Because um, I passed that one up before, because I, I forgot like what it was. And it was a very very good sour. Yeah. Um, so Flemish red for those who um, I want to be pedantic about it. Uh, so the beer advocate has it at a ninety five, and the Bros have it as a ninety five. Um, so it's an amazing beer. Um, it's, it's rotating, but it's apparently um, it's a sour cherry beer. Hmm. So I guess almost like a yeah, I was gonna say it's trick. sour, but there is like a sweetness Freak. to it. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's just ridiculously good. It's uh, you know a great fruit beer. Uh, it's got that like sour tangy. Uh, Flanders red, but it's got a nice multi body to it as well, which uh, just sort of rounds it out really nicely. Um, to tie it back to the sour monkey, it's not just sour, there is something underneath it that yep. gives it body and a feel and a texture that's really good to not just like knock your socks <clears> off. <throat> um, sour, but you're not going to be touching cheeks, as I like to put it. <laughs> and then my first choice of the night, and actually, I still think it's my actually now my new favorite by them, is the Judgment Day. Cool name. It's their Belgian quad, and that one, it most Belgian quads to me always come out really boozy every time I have them by like a different brewery, but this one was not. In fact, it was actually a little bit sweet. Uh, some people thought maybe it was a little too sweet, but I thought it was just right. Like it really paired nicely with the like, you know, it, it is a strong beer and it's dark, nice caramel notes, uh, just really, really good. What would you guys think? I thought it was delicious. I thought yeah. it was a great Belgian. It really mm-hmm. was. Uh, so it's a, as you said, it's a quad. It's 10.5% ABV. Um, and uh, they describe it as a massive beer in every sense of the word, and yeah, that is quite accurate. Um, Ma- Emily complained yeah. that it was a little sweet for her, which I thought yeah, was surprising. Did. I didn't yeah. really find that. I didn't either, but I mean, it is like a massive beer. It doesn't like blow you away, but it is. You could, there's just a presence there. So apparently, it's a it's a slight uh, play on their Lost and Found ale, which I've had, which is very good. Okay, and it's the base that they use for the Cuvée des Tombes. Ah. And so they basically stay, and I wish I could find this. Uh, if I do see this in bottles, I will grab it that it ages quite nicely for several definitely. years. So, nice, nice. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely we'll have to grab that again at some point in the future because it was, it was very tasty. It was super dark. Um, I almost like mistook it for a stout, right, like a lighter yeah. stout right away. But then you definitely had like that, that nice quad flavoring. It was good, mm-hmm. definitely good. And we did have the Cuvée de Tom. We did, yeah. Another actually very good sour beer. Uh, delicious. I forgot about that one, but you're right. Yeah. Who had that? Emily. Emily got that one then. Oh, uh, oh and we had the avant-garde. Yes, that was the, the last one. So they had a uh, beer de garde, um, the avant, uh, yeah, the avant-garde, uh, which was also interesting. It was definitely um, on style. What did you guys think of it? Uh... That one's a little fuzzy to me. I remember it being decent. I remember it was thinking it was hard to point down, point you know, pin down on exactly what it was and what was going on. I mean, I remember it having. I, th- I thought it was pretty alcoholic, wasn't it? Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe after that serpent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard. Uh, it, it was the last beer of the night. Yeah, um, that we shared, and uh, so was it a Belgian? Was it Beer Advocate yeah. lists listed at eighty five? The Bros apparently haven't had it. Uh, the style is Beer de Garde, um, and it's seven percent ABV. Um, however, what Lost Abbey describes it as 
is that it is a beer brewed in honor of the commitment to brewing beers to no particular style. And so they say that some might want to label this beer as beer brewed in the beer de garde tradition of northern France, where they prefer to say it was brewed in the avant-garde style of beers uh, that will reward all those who seek the not-so-ordinary. Hmm. Um, so they say it's deep golden color with hints of biscuits, caramel, and fresh-baked bread. Biscuits like British biscuits or like our biscuits? Uh, like our biscuits, I think. And it was sort of a... <laughs> a, a weedy isn't the uh, flavor... Um, but it was sort of like a grassy, grainy uh, flavor from what I recall. Lighter and, and yeah. grassy and grainy. I kind of thought it was um, a slightly less good version of the Red Barn, yeah. only without the funkiness. There was like none of that funky twist to it. Yeah, I think that was sort of the problem. Not only was it like at the end of the night, but it also like compared to all the others, it didn't really quite stand out. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. So it was still a solid beer. I mean, it was over... I Probably, I have to check one tap, but I think it was like I rated it above 3.5. But... Compared to the other things, it was much lower ranked because, like, the red poppy is just amazing, and the judgment was extremely good, mm-hmm. and the, the serpent stout was ex- exceptionally good. And then you come down to this thing that was lighter in flavor and body and alcohol, and it just sort of didn't have the punch that they once did to really make it notable. And, and how about, like you mentioned earlier, like the, the lack of any sort of samples or flights? Oh, yeah, that annoyed me. I thought that was interesting, like, because they did flights last year, didn't they, when we went to this? Mm hmm. Yeah, and I feel like, especially when you're having like a tap takeover like they did, or you know, as, as much as you can at a place with twenty taps, you you want to try them all. Um, so the fact that they just kind of put the kibosh on that just really surprised me. Especially when I think overall, don't most places kind of make make out on flights like for what, for what they so. charge you generally for the amount of beer you get. I think they do make a little bit of a premium versus a regular pour. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it was just. I can understand no samples. Um, I mean, I yeah, hate it, okay, but I, I understand mm-hmm. it. Um, what is it? No growler, draft only. What is oh, it? Dong, yeah. dong beers. Dong um, beers. That's right. Nice. What's that draft mean? only. Don't no no growler. growlers. Oh. Uh, well, what, why is which that? is what they are. They're 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 definitely they a dong brewery. to be there and eat food too. Or? I think it's well, because they rotate ideally good stuff in, and yeah. they don't want to have growler fills. And they're probably only oh. six tells. There's like a limited amount. Uh, I know yeah. like the fridge does this every now and then if they have like a rare beer or something yeah. on draft they'll they'll just put an NG on, on their which is I like place. that because it means the beer gets to more people yeah. yeah that if you want to drink a crowders full of KBS that you walk in there and you're gonna pay a hundred and twenty dollars to pay you know yeah, right. to drink six KBSs and then you know more power to you sir but you're doing it all in one sitting and whatnot so I like that aspect of it but if you're asking someone to pay like seven eight nine even more dollars um for a beer let them taste it before they make that plunge i in retrospect kind of on the way out thought that i we should have been complete jerks about it and been like we're gonna get these four beers and then if you want to bring a bunch of tasting glasses around so we can actually pour out our samples and be like yeah yeah, yeah. we're doing flights whether you like it or not which is essentially what we did we just shared the same glass we just swapped spit yeah yeah and which is fine you know that was cool it worked we're all in good health so it wasn't a big deal but uh yeah it's sort of like well there's five of the four of us and we are going to make do with uh what we had and it was good especially since we're so strong too yeah like it's almost like (laughs) irresponsible it's like no you have to drink a whole glass of this 10 and a half beer and then if you want another one you gotta drink another one like yeah yeah and you know my plan was to get flights of the lost abbey stuff and then probably get a pint of uh, red poppy when i was done yeah. and instead i had to have beers that i didn't like as much mm-hmm. um you know because i love the red poppy so much just so we could all try this stuff 
And then, you know, it kind of makes me be like, eh, maybe the next time the Hunger and Thirst does a tap takeover, I won't really rush out there, you know? Although the next one's Bullfrog, and I probably will do that one. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if they'll do the same thing. We'll have to see if they still do the no flights. I we'll feel like... Call, we should call ahead of time and say, we're only coming if you do flights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't Just hurt, so they know. The call, it's like, by out, the yeah. way, you're saying yes or no to business here. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> if you say no, we're not going. I mean, maybe the problem... I mean, I mean like... What I think is interesting is maybe the lesson from a, a year ago was because it was packed to the gills when we it were was. there. We were there with the uh, the Bruce Travelers as a callback to a year ago, and uh, and it was ass to elbows in there. And I <laughs> could see them like having to fill five flights for pretty much every person would be just absolutely horrible on turnaround for you know customer satisfaction. And maybe this year they said that, but we also went in there at what like a little after seven and half the tables were available and yeah. the beer was not standing in room only. Like there were seats available. So I'm like, well at this point you're kind of saying no on principle, which maybe is okay, but mm-hmm. you're not really kicking anyone out. So it was a little silly a little silly. In my humble opinion anyway. But overall the beers were great. Um, and I might have to rush back there for a few more before the kegs kick. Yeah, Because, exactly. uh, God, the Lost Abbey stuff is good. They also have a good, decent selection of Lost Abbey stuff in their uh, bottle shop on our yeah, regular basis. they really so do. That's that's nice. I always forget, yeah, it's not like most of the stuff. I mean, Red Poppy's around. Uh, definitely going to pick some mm-hmm. of those up. I've seen Serpent Stouts before. It's no uh, Duchess de Bourguignon, bon but... Uh, yeah. It's a it's a very close competitor. With the Cuvée de Jacobins Rouge, they uh, had that on draft last night, which is also a very good one. Yeah, That's That's a good one. It's so funny. Emily and I have such a not overlapping flavor, but the beers that we both really like, we both really like yeah, yeah. in conjunction. So uh, it's it's pretty hilarious. So with that, uh, since we don't have these beers on tap, we're gonna have to move to a little beer versus beer um, second anniversary edition. Beer versus beer. select the finest beer to pit in single combat for champion beer. Two beers enter, one beer leaves. So Mike, you want to take this away since you All right, wrote yeah. up the notes? Um, last year we com- commemorated our first anniversary with a pairing of the two original Beer versus Beer beers. The Yards IPA versus the Stone Arrogant Bastard. Now becoming something of a tradition, we revisit those breweries, but with decidedly refined pellets. We brought the pain with our IPAs, so let's see what these two breweries can do with the Pale Ale, the oft-neglected but dignified predecessor to Hop Heaven. Exciting. Yes. So basically we... Uh, chose uh, beers from both stone and yards and we went their pale ale um so do you want to go first rob or should i um i'll go first yeah let me grab the beers out of the fridge all right do that. It's, it's kind of interesting because that's like we we decided like that's what we wanted to do is basically like oh let's take like another like flagship beer that these two breweries do uh they really kind of go in opposite directions though with the pale ales no with like like just beer the beers that they make and distribute like Stone is definitely like all about hops. They make like fourteen different kind of hop hoppy yeah. beers. I don't even know if they make like a dark beer, or at least like they they do make a stout, but it's like it's it's hard to find. Yards does, yeah. But yeah, Yards kind of like they do very traditional styles. And <laughs> very traditional. The revolutionaries. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Revolutionary beers, and they make like a rye beer. They make a. Um, 
uh, chocolate stout of some sort. Mm. I forget what they call it, love stout or something. So if I uh, I heard Mike correct, we were talking about how the uh, there's not much overlap between in terms of styles for these two uh, two breweries. No, not a whole lot. So uh, yeah, if you're talking uh, IPAs, Stone's got a billion, but uh, Yards has one. Yeah. <laughs> so we went with the pale ale. So I'm going with uh, Jesse. If you want to pour some of that out. I'm going with the uh, remarkably sessionable Philadelphia Pale Ale, and uh, so I don't know. Couldn't find if we had this in the show before. I think we did the IPA, and that was the one of their beers that had a ton of amazing um, Great American Beer Fest championships. Their uh, the Yards IPA, but uh, this is the Philadelphia Pale Ale. It's a uh, 4.6% ABV, so you're not going to get wrecked on this. Um, it's got a 37 IBUs and a Plato of 11. Um, it's year-round. The ingredients, what they call significant ingredients, is Simcoe hops. And so it was originally introduced in the year 2000 and was a big winner for Philadelphia Magazine's Best of Philly in 2012 and um, named one of the best pale ales in the country by the New York Times. And it's uh, one of the best light-bodied beers and listener's choice at WIP's 2011 Beer Brawl. Nice. Yeah, the Simcoe really shines through on this one. Um I recently was like looking over all different kind of hops. You get a lot of those like lemony notes, a little mm-hmm. catty, um, but yeah, definitely one of those like sh- like strong American hops. It's got a wonderful nose on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of hop candy up front, but yeah, the mouthfeel is kind of kind of thin actually. Well, it's interesting because it's a sessional beer. Yeah, so you're under five percent, which is nice. Um, and then yeah, it really is just like if you want a beer that tastes like Simcoe hops, like boom, yeah, there you go. Um, and some co-hops are delicious, so nothing wrong with that. It's surprisingly a little, uh, I mean, IBUs of 37 isn't insignificant, but it's certainly, like, I almost want to say that uh, it's surprisingly bitter for just a pale ale of, yeah. of 37 IBUs. The more I drink this, yeah, the more I'm actually really surprised this is just a yeah. pale ale. Um, and it, I was trying to think of, like, it being sessionable and it being a pale ale, would I want to have this after mowing grass or working the yard all day in summer and uh the answer kind of is no i don't yeah. know if i really want to hop on that right away no it really it really kind of burns actually after a while i don't it's not really quite refreshing i think it would pair really well with some um, very nice food choices um definitely i yeah. could see some nice meats you know going with a steak with this or something i think would pair phenomenally but it's not necessarily going to be my i've sweated a gallon and i want yeah. to have some a beer to refresh myself this would be my first choice this would be more I'm eating something like a nice hearty hamburger. piece of fish or a hamburger, yeah, and, and put this with it, and I think that would be mm. excellent. This would be a good hamburger beer. Yeah. That kind of surprised me. I did not expect that from Yards. I wonder what the stone's going to bring. Yeah, I feel like I, I the the test that I want to have right now is to grab a bottle of the IPA and, yeah. and do the comparison there and be like, what's the difference between these two? Because, uh, I mean, it's, it's good. It's great. But it wasn't quite what I remembered, um, and it kind of, for me, is more like an IPA than it is just a straight-up paleo. Hmm. I guess it's just a single hopped pale ale that's got plenty of hops in it. And speaking of plenty of hops in it, we'll have to go to Mike's choice. All right. So basically, I went with the Stone Pale Ale, and Stone prides itself on its IPAs. Uh, I mean, I was at our local beer distributor, and they do literally have like a dozen different kinds. Everything from like a sessionable IPA on up to like your double, triple IPA. Usually involving like awful names like Ruination or, you know... (laughs) Go first. Yeah, fuck your face off or something like I don't know. That's just the way they do their marketing. <laughs> I, I, I think that's 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 Greg Coke's personality. <laughs> oh, okay. His arrogant bastard is named after him. 
Oh. <laughs> have you seen what he writes on Twitter and Facebook? Oh, not, not that he's often wrong, but he doesn't have a problem throwing in the middle of a of a hoedown and uh, being the most crass and offensive Ooh. individual there. A big uh, kerfuffle. Yeah, he, he enjoys a kerfuffle. Cool. Uh, so actually I was a little surprised when I saw the actually because when we saw the pale ale by yards I was like oh let me go actually see if Stone makes one and lo and behold <laughs> they do it's kind of like shoved in amongst all the other IPAs but yeah let's see if it's any good who's faster ah, see <laughs> I'll go with it ooh it's a hop is this new yes my first one had seen better days yeah, yeah. it was getting a little grody there's this nice, it was a nice metal um, church key, but uh, there was like a plastic piece where the fridge logo was underneath it and the plastic part started showing some wear and tear. So I'm now rocking a very nice Utter Creek. It's in the shape of a hop and it's all metal, so it'll probably last forever. Those of you with nice uh, openers that go on keychains, if you want to send us some to replace the Utter Creek, um, we are not loyalists, so go right ahead. To show you. Yeah. Well, just looking at Jesse's glass, this is extremely dark, I think, for a pale, <laughs> for a pale ale. There's nothing pale it's about this. It's like yeah. red, for fuck's sake. This is a, a ginger ale. It's a brown, for sure. All right. Definitely a lot sweeter. Yeah, very subdued. Compared to the... A longer the finish, for sure. Uh-huh. But there is like a weird bitterness on the end of it. Yeah. Uh, it kind of like lingers throughout. Yeah, like the a, bitterness in the yards is up in the front. And not that I'm the ultimate arbiter, but I would say that the bitterness in the in the yards is actually like a more pleasant bitterness. Yeah, overall, this is more of a... It's like mm, a biting bitterness to this. Yeah. Bad medicine kind of thing. Mm. Your love is like bad... The flavoring bon- bon- in bon- mouth bon- is really nice. Uh, I like it. It's malty. It's, it's... Fuller. Yeah. And then you swallow, and it sort of fades into just this... Like post hop bomb almost flavor yeah. bitter, and I'm sort of like, eh. It like, leaves, leaves me wanting. Yeah. I, maybe I'd pair this with popcorn, maybe. <laughs> I'm I'm sitting something there going salty. like, something salty. Like, yeah, something salty, like pretzels probably with yeah, mustard, something good. to kind of like cut out the bitterness on the end. Mm-hmm. Would probably be pretty good. Um. Yeah. Okay. You know. I like a lot of Stone's IPAs. I've had the Pale Ale before. And maybe that's why I haven't had it often is because yeah. I'm not a huge fan. Um, let's see what, uh, you know, Beer Advocate has to say on both of these beers. I didn't look at the bottle. It's going to eat information. Oh, yeah, there's a whole... And maybe it helps if I can spell it up here, right? There we go. Whole thing on it. It's our all-occasion ale, if you will. Mm. So Beer Advocate has the Philadelphia Pale Ale at 83. As we said, it's 4.6%. Um. Uh, haha, we honestly believe all others pale, pun intended, in comparison to this one, crisp and hoppy. It's definitely that. And then let's see, stone pale ale. A little higher, five point four. Oops. Stone pale ale, boom. And that has the beer score of eighty-seven, and mm. the bros put it at eighty-eight. Mm. And uh, beer advocate says it's five point four, but we'll trust the bottle over that one. And what's what's the beer? Did, did Stone remake their beer? Yeah, Ruination 2.0 was out. Okay, I did see that in the fridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also are redoing just the Stone regular IPA okay. um, as well because they wanted to update it for the the modern age. But I guess the first one out the door was the Ruination 2.0. So cool. That's interesting. It's interesting to to kind of. I'd love to see if I could get an old bottle and then a new bottle and really taste the difference in recipes. See but, if it uh, improved. 
Um, I, with an IPA, that's not really going to last that great, so yeah. <laughs> probably not. Well, if I may make a suggestion, maybe the uh, Stone Pale Ale should be uh, third on the list of beers they remake. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like it, it could. this one could go back to the drawing board. Well, I feel like they um, they were making them to make them like stronger and hoppier, which I think is interesting oh. to suit the market. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this could work with it, but I feel, uh, but based on beer advocate ratings, people enjoy this over the Philadelphia ale, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because I I know my personal preference would be the Philadelphia ale, but it's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to beer advocate. It's up to Jesse. So Jesse, what, what do you prefer? Yeah. All right. Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, it has a better flavor. It, it's, it's, I like drinking it more. Um, the smell is better. Um, the stone, it, there's just, it gives it leaves me with a weird feeling, mm-hmm. the weird flavor kind of just, you know, it lingers, but it's not like a necessarily a good lingering. Um, it has a fuller, like, I don't know. It just has, it has a better, it, it, the mouth feels better and it seems like it could be better, but it just doesn't do, yeah. it doesn't like deliver for me. Um, so that's why I go with yards and yards like what it, even though it is pretty, you know, it's, it's feels almost like there's this hot facade and there's nothing really behind it. It's kind of like, oh, is this going to be hoppy? Oh, it's not. Uh-huh. It's just a pale yellow. Yeah. Um, and it kind of like leads you hot like that. facade. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a hot like facade. And, uh, and uh, then you're like, oh, uh, okay. Um, but I still find that more pleasurable than what Stone was providing here. Yeah, I, was, I can't believe like Yards beat the pants off Stone as far as like a nice hoppy beer yeah. goes. But it really did. Yeah. Especially for a sessionable pale ale, yeah, that they beat the pants off of Stone for not being sessionable. Um, I remember going down to Yards uh, years ago. God, when Gene and I first started dating, so you know, like three plus years ago, and we went and we did a brewery tour there, and uh, I really liked the beers, and I remember the Philadelphia pale ale being particularly uh, high up there. But then I just never really have had it much since then, because you know, obviously there's other things that are bigger and bolder and exciting. Um, Gotta give credit to this. This still stands up, you know, for being what a beer from the two thousands. Um, yeah. You know, you know, kudos. They have done something nice. Very good. And uh, maybe Stone will go through and revamp their whole line and do something with this because I just feel like I'm with Jesse that there's sort of just like a weird bitterness in the end that I don't. Mm-hmm. I would expect something better from from Stone because even their they're like super powerful IPAs and double IPAs have a great flavor and there might be a bitterness on the end, but it's sort of almost like a. Like a pleasing bitterness, you know. Yeah. I mean, the last time we did this a year ago, where we duplicated the first run we ever did, mm-hmm. Jesse liked the arrogant bastard. You yep. enjoyed the throw gophers that time around, and it was still just as bitter, but it was just a a good sort of bitter. This is like an acidic, bad sort of bitter. Mm. Not a fan. No, yeah. Not a big fan. I shouldn't say it's bad. It's just, no, just not of, what I would expect from this one. In, yeah, like. yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Cool. Well, congratulations to me. Yes. Um, so I think the next... It's been a while, hasn't it? I'm sorry. Yeah, it has been a couple in a row, yeah. 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 I mean, it's been, until this one, like, really tight every week. Every week, I feel like Mike and I have come out with beers that are really damn close, and you got to decide on somebody, so I don't feel too bad um, one way or the other. So, uh, yeah, but it would be nice to have a, a W up there. Um, obviously, since this is our two-year anniversary, um, for the next episode, I'm going to go through and tally up. Okay. Who's I was up in say, the lead. don't have any stats. I don't have any stats right. this year. Uh, it was a bad, bad week for, for getting those things together. Yeah. Um, but I will get all the stats together. Uh, we're getting, actually, you know what? I think I may save that. 
I'm going to say that for our 100th episode because we are only a couple of weeks away from our 100th episode. How many episodes were we at? And I, this currently should be our 95th episode. Um, I think that's the case. Wow. So yeah. we, are, we are a couple episodes away from that, which is exciting. And so I think we'll have a big 100 year, or yeah, 100 year, 100, <laughs> 100th episode celebration. And we'll, we'll, I'll tally up stats. I'll tally up the things that Jesse is too handsome for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I may try to put together a database of all the beers that we've tried. And uh, maybe we can pick out our favorite beers of the beers we've tried. You know, the least favorite beers of the things we've tried. Not including uh, Slum in it. Because that would be unfair. Uh, and we'll just go over some maybe some highlights of stuff that we've done over 100 episodes. Because that's pretty cool. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So to wrap it up, uh, that's it for today's show. We hope you enjoyed uh, two years of Blind Tiger podcasting. We certainly have enjoyed ourselves, and we hope the listeners at home have also enjoyed it. Uh, join us next week. Uh, if we are lucky, hopefully Jesse can arrange a potentially new idea um, for a sample sode um, involving a guest surprise or two. So we'll have to figure that out. Um, but we've enjoyed two long years, uh, and we want to say thanks to our listeners and to the numerous brewers, uh, brewery owners, uh, and pretty much anybody who's involved in craft beer. We've enjoyed drinking your beer. We've enjoyed talking to you, and we've enjoyed how you've only made the craft beer scene all the better. So, uh, here's to another two years at least. Uh, thanks for listening. And of course, keep on drinking. That's today's show. For more information on today's podcast or to subscribe to the show, visit www.blindtigerpodcast.com or look for us on iTunes. Send comments or questions to show at blindtigerpodcast.com. To suggest or request a beer for beer versus beer or to ask a question for Homebrew 101, email show at blindtigerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and keep drinking.